Welcome to Morning Soap. At Fusion Church, our desire is to see everyone attend church and hear from God daily through His Word. The Bible reveals God's responses to various situations, and through daily devotions, we can reshape our thought patterns, transform our minds, and become more Christ-like. Join us here every Monday through Friday as different pastors and leaders from Fusion Church provide insightful devotions and teachings based on the day's scripture. For the current SOAP reading plan, visit fusionchurch.cc SOAP and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with God. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord God, for another morning, another week, another month. We get to come together, Lord, as one body under your name, Jesus, to give you praise, to give you honor, and God, to see what you have for us this morning. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to rely on our own strength or our own wisdom. We get to come to you and open your word and see what you have for us as your people. So God, I pray right now, Open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes and ears, Lord, to hear your vo- your voice in our hearts. God, I pray I would decrease and you would increase, Lord. Let this be your message, Holy Spirit, not my own. I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So here we go. So like I said, we're diving into Esther today. Esther chapter 2. Um, and so a little previously on soap, since we're jumping into chapter 2. Um, to start off, uh, a little preview or previously on soap from chapter one, um, we meet King Xerxes, who is uh, the king of Persia, the Persian kingdom at this time. Um, and King Xerxes, he's he's a very prideful, boastful king. And he throws this large banquet to celebrate himself, show off his riches, and just have a party. Right? These go go hard into it. Okay. Um, however. His fun is spoiled when his wife, Queen Vashti, refuses to come at his calling and be displayed in front of the entire kingdom. Um, all these men who are all drunk and just having a wild time. Um, so the queen, the queen refuses to come and be part of all this wild um, showing off, right? Um, and because she refuses to come at the king's call, he takes the advice of his advisors and his officials who want to get back at her and he has her banished and and removed as queen from his kingdom. Um, So today in chapter two, now we're opening about four years after this, after um, King has an unsuccessful war campaign. um, He's trying to figure out what the next step is now that he's, you know, having a hard season and he needs to have a queen to fill that role. So coming into chapter two this morning, Starting with verse one. Uh, it's coming out of the NIV version also. As uh, so verse one, this portion is, is entitled Esther Made Queen. Later, when King Xerxes' fury had subsided, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what he had decreed about her. Then the king's personal attendants proposed, Let search be made for a beautiful young for, for beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint commissioners in every province of his realm to bring all these beautiful young women into the harem at the citadel of Susa. Let them be placed under the care of Haggai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. And let the beauty treatments be given to them. Then let the young woman who pleases the, the king be queen instead of Vashti. This advice appealed to the king, and he followed it. 
Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, son of Shimi, son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who was in charge of the harem. She pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. Every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came in to go to King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And this is how she would go to the king. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there, in the morning, return, to another part of the harem to the care of Shegazat. Shegazaz the king's eunuch was in charge of the concubines. She would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. When the term came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than Heg- what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, month of Tepeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than any of the, many of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. And the king gave a, a great banquet, Esther's banquet, for all his nobles and officials. He proclaimed a holiday throughout the provinces and distributed gifts with royal liberality. This last portion of scripture is entitled, Mordecai Uncovers a Conspiracy. Verse 19. When the virgins were assembled a second time, Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate. But Esther had kept her family background and nationality secret, just as, just as Mordecai had told her to do. But she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, Two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this was recorded in the book of the Annals of the Presence of the King. Amen to God's word. All right, so... Kind of dive into this, right? Um, if you're like me, you grew up on the '90s. You knew the Veggie Tales version of Queen Esther. It's actually one of my favorites growing up. Um, 
I love seeing our kids and youth and kids ministry now um, who watch Bible Adventure, you know. So Isaiah came back, you know, and they watched Bible Adventure with this exact same story. And so we're in a season right now of hearing miracles in motion and seeing miracles, like I said, throughout the Bible then and now. And how um, us as adults in, you know, big church, adult church, and our kids are learning alongside of us because there's lessons we can take in the story for both youth and adults, right? Um, so fun Bible fact to start off, um, Esther is one of only two books in the Bible that doesn't specifically mention the name of God. There's no clear name or mention of him um, in this book. Um, and that actually is believed because um, it was written during Persian rule. And so there was uh, some thought that because it was written under the Persian um, rule and it was distribution during the, the per, um, Persian Empire that uh, was trying to keep the name of God and, and Yahweh and things like that uh, a little more secret so it wouldn't be found out. Um, however, in the original, in the original uh, text, you can find the name Yahweh and the letters hidden across an acrostic way between the initial and the final letters of some of the words in some of the verses. Um, and it actually talks about in the original manuscript. Yeah, these letters that spell out Yahweh were written in a bit larger font or larger handwriting to give them more prominence. So even though you know we look at the translations thousands of years later and there's no mention of God in this book of Esther, um, if you go back to the original text, you actually can see where it was secretly written in for the, the Jewish people to still see God and see his promise and be reminded of him throughout the story. And it's also really one of those stories where we get to see, even though God's name isn't mentioned specifically, we see how he's working behind the scenes. His hand is over all of this from the first to the last chapter of this entire book. So just you know, our own lives, right? Sometimes we don't always see God or hear God or feel like he's with us. And yet when we look back over the beginning and the end and portions throughout our stories, our own personal stories, right? We see that God's always working. He's always there, directing steps, making a way, and seeing you know his, his plans and purposes for us play out over time. All right, so we're going to dive in. Uh, first portion, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Um, so we're seeing like how King Xerxes' fury had subsided. So he, you know, again, coming out of a hard season of um, a war campaign, and you know, when he's more sober-minded than he was after throwing this, this enormous feast, right? Um, he's realizing his actions. He's realizing, you know, coming to his senses, seeing, you know, how his, um, his, uh, his misjudgment of his substances and his, you know, drunkenness, his misjudgment of the people and his advisors that gave him poor advice to banish his own queen, you know, he's realizing, what did I just do? And trying to figure out what the next step is. And that's when, you know, his, his again, his personal attendants are giving him this advice, right? He's coming to the wrong people and getting the wrong advice. Um, the, plan, the plan was to assemble this harem, this, you know, this large gathering of women um, some records say up to 400 women were taken from their homes across his enormous Persian empire and taken to his palace in Susa to almost compete, if you want, if you will, 
for a, a Miss Persia. You know, we have Miss America, Miss Universe. This is Miss Persian Empire, all right, coming um, to try and select the best one, the best woman across his entire kingdom to become queen. And so we meet two, uh, two people right here we're getting a little more background on, and that's Mordecai, and that's uh, verse 5, verse uh, Mordecai and Esther. And so we have uh, Mordecai, and so he's one of the, the men that was carried from exile in Jerusalem under the last king, under Nebuchadnezzar. He was taken among those who were captive and brought to Babylon and was as part of the Persian Empire. Um, and seeing how he, you know, he's risen up through his his service. He's part of the king's you know, inner circle. It talks about later on, um, he's at the king's, within the king's gate. So he's he's not just on the outside. He's not a simple slave. Like he has, he has some, some influence, right? Not much because he's still, you know, an exile. He's still a, a Jewish member. But he has some influence within the king's uh, larger governmental kingdom, right? And we also meet his... Um, his cousin, Esther, who we hear in verse 7 is, was also known as having a lovely figure and was beautiful. And if we're seeing both a beautiful, a lovely figure and beautiful and a double emphasis, we're seeing she really must have been a gorgeous woman. Someone who's who set apart by God, not just um, on the inside, but on the outside as well. Um, and so it's really cool if you look at her name, um, Hadassah, in the original her original um, Hebrew Jewish name, Hadassah, means myrtle, M-Y-R-T-L-E, like the plant. And um, in the Bible, myrtle is actually a prophetic symbol, which would represent the Lord's forgiveness and acceptance of his people. Um, at, uh, Book of Isaiah 55, verse 13, it talks about how instead of the thorn should come up the cypress tree, instead of the briar should come up the myrtle tree. And it, shall be, and it shall be the Lord, it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall be not be cut off. And so we're seeing um, even her name is making her set apart and giving her a, a prophetic uh, meaning of what she's what God's gonna do through her in this season of exile for both her and her people. Um, but then her Persian name, you know, back then, um, they wished to try and shift the people of their identity. Strip the the Jewish people of um, who they were, right? As as God's chosen people, and so they would change her. They would change their names, and so Hadassah, her Jewish name, was replaced by Esther, which actually means star. And so we're seeing, you know, again how God's even even her names, God's getting her set apart and giving her um, the beauty of her names, even and how God's going to work those things into His story, into His purposes. Um. And we hear she's an orphan. She has no mother or father. And so Mordecai, her cousin, has taken her in as his own daughter. And so we're seeing right here the importance of, of community and family within the body of believers. You know, not just blood family like this, but spiritual family, you know, coming alongside her as, as a fellow Jewish member, you know, to to raise her up, to care for her, even in the face of his own persecution, of his own exile, you know, Mordecai still cares for her and honors her as his own daughter. And because of this, we see how God later on, spoiler alert, um, God's going to honor Mordecai for his great love and his great honor to Esther. 
because that the story is not just about Esther. It is. It's based, you know, the book's named Esther. But we also see how Mordecai is such a supporting role in this. How God actually works through both Esther and him as a family man, um, as an up and coming leader, despite his circumstances of exile and rejection, he still allows Mordecai to have influence and work through him to see how he's going to really be part of Esther's story in the coming chapters and really raising her up. Um, So the first question I have for us, our first application question this morning is, who can you be a Mordecai for in your own life? Who needs the extra love and care and attention and prayers through what they're going through? You can step in and support them with through what they're going through. All right, and we're continuing on. Um, verse eight. We hear how the king's order, order and edict have been proclaimed, and many young women were brought to the citadel, citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai, Esther being one of them. Um, and throughout this process, um, she's given special beauty treatments and special food. She's, we're seeing how she's already, even though she's a, a Jewish woman, she's winning the favor of these Persian men and Persian um, officials, right? Um, and it says beyond her, even beyond her allowance, beyond what all the other women were getting, she got special treatment of special beauty preparations, you know, extra perfumes, extra oils, extra, you know, that, that bonus package at the spa. You know, it's like another $30 add-on. So she, she that's what she was getting from um, Haggai, who's in charge of all these women. Uh, she was even given seven maid servants, seven women to, to have with her to look after her beauty needs and to honestly, in this in this season of her life, be her community, you know? Because that, I think that's one of the biggest things as we continue on. We see there's 400 women right here. But, and it sounds great, right? It sounds like being taken from your home, getting spa treatments, all this great stuff, special foods. But remember, you're being taken from your home, from your family, to a foreign place, foreign city. You know no one there. There's no connections. You may not even speak the language. You, you don't, in Esther's case, you don't have the same religion. So you're in total isolation, despite all of this. And there's only so much beauty treatments you can get. There's only so many naps you can take. There's so many, you know, so many oils and perfumes you can get and special foods before you're sick of it. Before you, that heartache of missing home is so, so real, right? We've all had those seasons of loneliness, you know, feeling we don't belong somewhere. And th- those feelings are amplified more by Esther and by these each of these 400 women, right? And so God's really showing her this, this level of provision, of comfort, of even community through these these maidservants to have someone to be on her side, just someone to have an extra level of connection with, you know. Because again, these four hundred women, they're all at each other's throats, right? This is like this is like the worst, you know, the worst uh, dating reality show. Okay, you have four hundred women to to compete against, right? There's only one rose. There's only one crown, right? And so these four hundred women are here to make friends. They're here to to you know be the best. So having seven maidservants around Esther is an extra level of, of support. These maidservants aren't going to compete against her, right? It's just, it's just her who's, who's going to be queen in the competition, right? And so, so as she's going through these, these preparations, she's becoming more beautiful, more, you know, 
um, more of a standout to these other women. And we're seeing how her beauty got her into the palace. Her beauty got her this, this favor and this special special attention. Um, but God's favor is allowing her to have extra favor with Haggai and the other officials and the other maidservants, right? Her beauty, her outside appearance can only take her so far. When God's favor comes in, God moves in her life, in her story. That's when we see the extra attention, the extra um, <clears throat> extra care, the extra provisions, right? Because what humans see on the outside, humans see the beauty, humans see you know, her hair, her skin, her figure, but God sees the, those deeper gifts. God sees those deeper traits that, that she's following him and, and God and holiness, right? She's trying to be, you know, even despite all of this, she's still trying to follow God. And he's honoring that just like he's honoring Mordecai for following him even throughout exile. And we're seeing that protection, that comfort, that provision in the midst of her isolation and captivity. And it's, you know, Reminds me of that song, Waymaker, we just sang this past weekend, right? Waymaker lyrics, you know, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You know, she might not have been seeing it or feeling it at the moment, but God's still working in her story. <clears throat> As we see all this come out, right? Uh, in verse 10, it talks about how Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. So Mordecai, he knew the king's palace. He knew the kingdom, right? He knew how, how the officials would react if they knew she was Jewish. Again, this is still a season of, of persecution, of hardship. So being Jewish in the Persian Empire would not have gotten her where she was. And yet, now we're being clear, she's not, she's not, she's not, not revealing herself to be Jewish out of dishonor to God or out of denial or out of shame, right? She's trying to honor Mordecai actually, and try to listen to him as her elder, as her caretaker, you know? She's listening to Mordecai, and, and Mordecai is trying to, trying to keep her safe and protected from the prejudice and from the abuse that the Jewish people were facing at that time. Um, And just like us, right? We, you know, we might not always openly reveal ourselves as Christian right off the bat, like, you know, and say, hi, my name's Heather, I'm Christian, I work at a church, like, that can be kind of off-putting for some people. And so what we're, what actually we're seeing here in this example from, from Esther is that by building relationships and building trust and letting our faith be seen by our actions, by the inside of us, rather than outwardly right off the bat, you know, we can actually see how we can build those, that trust up, build those relationships up first by our example. And that can actually allow us to have more favor with people, more favor and getting to know people, especially non-believers, right? Or in, you know, in this case, the non-Jewish Persians, us as non-believe, you know, non-believers in our own lives today, we can actually, again, not dishonor or have shame in our Christian faith. We can actually use that faith strategically to build friendships, to build work partnerships, to network, to say, hey, let's see how we can work together, you know, with our Christian ideals within, and let those Christian ideals within be displayed outwardly as she was doing, as more, um, as Esther was doing, right? Through her humility, through her respect, through her honor, through, you know, listening to Mordecai and, and Haggai and those around her, you know? Her, her identity, she knew her identity deep down, and yet her example was being shown for other people to be drawn to her, even in the midst of what she was going through. 
And again, we're still seeing how Mordecai is coming alongside her. The extra love and care and protection and guidance, you know, even away from home, away from Mordecai, you know, she he's still coming alongside her to seek her out. Every day walking back and forth near the courtyard to check in on her and love on her, right? <clears throat> so verse 12 um, talks about the beauty treatments we have, right? As part of this, this whole process to becoming um, the, the next queen, right? And so it talks about in verse 12 how she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments, six months six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. And it talks about how, um, so back in, the, in that time, Persia was one of the many countries that had was very famous for their perfumes and their oils, all these like really ornate customs they used to have. They have ritualistic baths and cosmetics, um, the, you know, henna painting on the hands and the feet facial makeup, all kinds of different things, right? Make themselves higher and more beautiful. Emphasize the wealth, the great wealth and um, opulence of the Persian Empire at the time. Um, and also one of the reasons of that lengthy preparation, that 12-month preparation season for these, these women was to ensure they actually were virgins, you know? Um, one of the reasons why they want, wanted to make sure is that none of the women were pregnant when they were taken by um, by the king into this harem, right? Because they want to make sure there was no illegitimate children or no woman could say that she fathered the king's child out of, you know, out of this harem. And so having this, this long, drawn-out process, this beauty treatments and everything, would actually ensure these women, you know, who were, they said, were who they said they were, made sure there was no illegitimate pregnancies or children or anything, um, make sure to protect the king, protect his legitimacy, his kingdom, right? So, you know, so going through all these treatments and everything, and then it talks about in verse 13, how anything Esther wanted was given to her to take from the harem to the king's palace. You know, you're, whenever you're a guest somewhere, you take a welcoming gift or a homewarming gift with them, right? You go to a party, you take a party tray or snacks with you, right? And so the same kind of principle is here, you know? Um, she's a guest in the king's palace. She's going to go visit him for the night, and then she would bring something with her. And so it talks about how the, the women would, in the evening, they would go to the king, to the king, stay the night. And then in the morning, they would return to another part of the harem as, um, as like the, 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 the second-rate ones, right? They, they went to the king. He didn't accept them. And so they would get, get passed on. They get moved on to another part of the harem. And she would just stay, you know, they would just be, be stay there then, right? And so, um, so think about that for a second. You, know, you have one chance. You know, the Bachelor or the Bachelorette, you know, other dating shows you watch, Love is Blind, whatever people watch. I'm not a dating show person, to be honest. But whatever people watch nowadays, right? You have one chance out of 400 women for your one moment in the spotlight. And if you blow it, that's it. Kicked off the island. You get booted to another part of the, the mansion. Like, and you're never seen again. Right? The destiny of these women is really what's so so formidable in this whole story because if, if the king chose him chose them that's it and and she's that woman will be queen and if the 399 who were lost were banished to another part of the harem and they're and they were never seen again they were never um, allowed to leave right and they would essentially become widows they would be, have to live the rest of their lives single because at that point they spend an evening 
quote unquote evening with the king. And so they were unfit to get married by another man because they were the king had had taken them. And then, you know, and they only had each other. They still were away from their families. They couldn't leave the king's palace. They were part of that harem of concubines. And so this really is a, is a big, high-pressure situation that Esther's being placed in. And so she's not, she's not panicking, right? She's not panicking that we read. She's not, you know, um, she's not trying to think what to do. What she does instead is that she goes to Haggai and she wins his favor and she asks him what to bring. It says in verse 15, going down, uh, when the turn came for Esther to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And so he, she let him speak into the situation. She sought good counsel and good advice, right? She had Mordecai the last few months, right? Mordecai is, you know, passing her advice, passing her wisdom, passing her background on on the king and his his palace, right? Doesn't say specifically what she requested. Maybe it was a favorite food or a favorite drink. Maybe it was a favorite color she wore to please the king. Maybe a favorite perfume scent. Um, but again, we're seeing how her beauty got her into the palace, but God's favor allowed her to have favor with others. And we're seeing the comparison, right, of King Xerxes from the first chapter and from the beginning of the story who had bad advice with bad advisors, with bad intent. And then we see how um, Esther takes good advice and wise advisors in her life. She benefits from her wisdom and her her humility and her teachability, right? Because we know that the outside appearance can only get you so far, right? There's 399 beautiful women who are part of this this contest as well. And yet Esther's heart and her mind and her honor to God and to others allowed her to have that promotion, have that those next steps to see where God was going to bring her, right? So we said, you know, God's favor, God's favor will allow us to have our own favor. You know, beauty only gets us so far. Beauty got her into the palace. And God's favor, when he speaks into our lives, he moves things, his hands. That's when we see breakthrough. That's when we see life change, right? And it really reminds us, um, <clears throat> it's a great Old Testament example of Romans 8, 28, right? The New, the New Testament is reflected in the Old Testament and vice versa, you know? So Romans 8, 28, right? And we know that in all things, God works for those who, have, who love him, been called according to his purpose. And so we're seeing how Esther loved him. She honored him by honoring Mordecai, her, her family, by honoring those around her, by being humble and teachable. And God honored that and worked all these things in her, her life from her being an, being an orphan, from being in exile, from being called to the king's palace, from being part of this whole, you know, crazy year-long um, um, beautification process, right? And yet God worked all these things and more things as we continue on in the book of Esther um, for good, for his purposes. <clears throat> so second application question as we go into um, closing up. Second question is, uh, where do you need to be humble? Where do you need to humble yourself to be teachable, seeking good advice and wise counsel so you can let God's favor work in your favor today? All right. <clears throat> this last little portion here entitled Mordecai Uncovers a Conspiracy. This is really key. It's at the very end of this chapter, but it's really key as we continue on to talk about. Um, 
So Mordecai is at the king's gate. Again, he's within the, you know, the kingdom, the palace uh, area. He has some influence, right? As one of the, the king's men. Um, but just like Esther kept her family background in secret, so was, you know, they knew he was, he knew he was Jewish. See, he was still in that first wave that was taken over. So he has influence, but it's it's Jewish influence, which only is like a a, a half influence, right? Because he you know he's he's not Persian. Um, and yet he's sitting at the king's gate one day, and here's these two officials, you know, conspiring to assassinate the king, which is actually <clears throat> this isn't, you know, this, later on it's it's founded, right? Actually, much later on, years later, um, King Xerxes actually was assassinated. Not in the time of Esther, but later on, he actually was assassinated. And so this, this, these assassination attempts in his life were very real threats, you know? So Mordecai, he uh, he says something, right? He speaks up to Esther and reports what he hears. And she, in turn, reports that to the king and tells him that Mordecai is the one who, who found it out. And when this all came back and was investigated, two officials were killed and executed for their their assassination plot. Right. <clears throat> and so we're seeing here, again, just the honor of both Mordecai and Esther. Right. Well, on the honor of Mordecai to, to fear God, but also honor his own king, the king who exiled him, king who mistreated him, the king who, you know, he has no relation to. You know, because Mordecai doesn't serve, doesn't, doesn't benefit him, him anything if the king's alive or dead. Right. He's still, he's an exile. He's a, he's a servant. And yet, instead of letting the king die, he had enough honor and respect and integrity to let the king know, to let someone know about this plot and save the king's life, right? I mean, he didn't have to. And then again, we're seeing Esther's honor and integrity, not only reporting it to the king, but giving Mordecai the credit and letting her, you know, her favor now spread to Mordecai. And so when you, when you have God's favor over your life, you'll see that and you share it with others, you'll see others will have that same favor and that same blessing and provision and protection as we share what God's given us, not, not for our own good, our own favor, but for the favor and goodness of others. Amen. <clears throat> so that, and, that, and that's a little preview into what like I said is coming up later on this week. So keep that little, uh, this little last portion in mind too. All right. As we close out this morning, three, uh, two application questions and one uh, kind of point to talk, to think about over the next week. Um, one, like we said, who can you be a Mordecai to today? Who needs extra love, extra care, extra attention, or extra prayers to what they're going through? So question two, where do you need to humble yourself to be teachable like Esther, to seek good advice and wise counsel so you can let God's favor work in your favor? And number three, the thing to think about as we continue, uh, continue on this week of soaping and Esther and our miracles in motion, um, where can you be praying to see God's hand over your own story or the story of those around you. Like we talked about in Romans 8, 28. See him work all things for the good of those who love him. Whether it's in your own life, a family member's life, a friend's life, a co-worker's life, even our church's life in this Miracles of Motion season. Where can you pray to see God work all those things together for the good of those who love him? Like Esther's story. All right. Dear God, I thank you that we get to come together, Lord. And like you said, just, just hear your wisdom. Lord, thank you for the example of Esther and Mordecai. God, that you you don't need to, but you choose to use both your daughters and your sons to bring about breakthrough, 
to bring about um, life change, God, and, and to see your blessings and favor go out, not for our own benefits, but, but, but for the benefits of those you've called us to, to minister to and to connect with and to walk alongside. Sky pray right now, Lord, keep our eyes and ears, hearts and minds open to see you moving over this day, over this week, over the season of our lives. And help us to be Mordecai and, and give love and care and guidance to those around us. Lord, help us be like Esther and have, have humility, have teachability, have good people speaking, speaking into our lives even so we can see your plans and the good and the bad, God, and all work together to see your plans and your provision and your purposes come to fulfillment in our, in our own lives, in our families' lives, in our workplaces, in our schools, and in our region for your life-changing, kingdom-building purposes. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, all right, all have an amazing rest of your day, amazing start to your week, and we'll see you all soon. God bless.